So, Dave, I understand that you are heavily, heavily caffeinated right now. Yes. Yes. This is awesome. <laughs> are each of your teeth vibrating individually in their sockets? Both of them, yes. <laughs> That's great. Why are, you, why are you so caffeinated? Usually you're not, uh, usually you don't abuse caffeine. Oh, I do. I do. I just don't talk about it. Um, <laughs> no, no. It's just early start for the week. Um, mm. Just uh, uh, being up at 3.15 for a, uh, to fly to D.C. for a 9 a.m. meeting. And uh, it's, it's uh, 5.40 p.m. now. And uh, so... I'm uh, rocking out here. This is right. this is really good. You're, you're, you're hopefully, hopefully they don't do uh, drug testing of uh, of uh, podcast uh, hosts. <laughs> right. Well, all they would find is adrenaline. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. Okay. Well, hopefully, hopefully that maybe that means we'll we'll speed through our topics uh, this episode. So. Yeah. No, no, you don't even need to listen to two X. Well, I'll do it. <laughs> that's great. Um, so I have an admission, which I find a little embarrassing as a co-host of this show. Uh, are you ready? Yeah. Uh, I went out and, uh, got a, got a Google home and, and I didn't just get one Google home, Dave. I got a, I got three Google homes. How many homes do you have? I have, well, I've got the one home, but there's three rooms and, okay. uh, the, it actually, it, it, like classic, classic. Uh, kind of electronics buy where I went out. I was like, I, I want to experiment with a Google Home. I'm going to go buy a Google Home. And then I put it in the kitchen. Um, by the way, the best feature and the most frequently used feature is the ability to start a timer while you're cooking uh, with your voice yeah. and then oh, label yeah. that timer. So uh, set a pasta timer for 10 minutes. Uh, hey, hey, oh. hey, machine, turn, you know, uh, cancel, the, cancel the pasta timer. Um, and it knows what to do. Mm -hmm which is pretty great. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. So, the, so, uh, Hey machine, tell me, uh, how much time is left on the egg timer? Um, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. all that stuff works the way you want it to. And then I found myself, uh, wanting to, especially I got these, uh, fancy Wi-Fi light bulbs. And, uh, anyway, before you know it, uh, suddenly I'm, uh, you know, it very quickly went from experiment to like writing an article for wired cutter. Right. Um, like, <laughs> so, yeah. uh, you're dictating it into the Google home. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Um, so now yeah. I've got one in the living room, one in the kitchen, one in the bedroom. And, uh, I'm not going to lie. It's pretty sweet. And do you want to, and, uh, first favorite feature is the timer. Second favorite feature yeah. integration with Todoist. Oh, okay. Okay. So last night as I'm falling asleep, I forgot I should really call my friend, uh, Hey machine, remind me to uh, call my friend tomorrow. Or hey machine, add a task to call my friend on Wednesday. Yes. And sure enough, there it goes, and it appears right in Todoist. It is mm -hmm. amazing. It's amazing. So, do you have to say tell Todoist to do whatever, or or does it have a default uh, task app? What an excellent question. Uh, mortals will need to summon Todoist to uh, to do this kind of thing, but pros like myself. Uh, uh, you can actually use if this, then that you can actually oh. use if yeah you can actually use if this, then that to override the regular behavior for a particular command. 
So okay. if, you, if you don't care for the good morning command, you can use if this, then that to change what good morning means. Um, okay. like, likewise with add a task, likewise with add to my grocery list, which now goes into my Todoist grocery list and not the janky uh, inbuilt shopping list uh, that Google mm -hmm. provides. Um, anyway, I'm having a lot of fun with it. I'm going to, I'll probably... This, this is almost as much, this is almost enough fun to create a blog post for. Um, but, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm, I'm having a grand time and, uh, Soren really enjoys controlling the lights in the house because he can't, ah. he can't reach the light switches, but he can definitely, nice. he can definitely yell at a computer. So, um, yeah, so that's fun. That's fun. So do you have to be sensitive to, you know, like, like you're saying, Hey machine, like, are you like, have you trained yourself to like not say uh, any trigger words to, to make a trip or, or have you done that accidentally a lot and, and you've learned or, or uh, uh, how's that? No, actually I have not accidentally triggered it. It might've happened once when I was explaining to someone how it worked, which is like a forgivable error. Um, yes. uh, and uh, although I have had the case of, it was interesting. I had one machine play and was playing an NPR show and on the NPR show, they said the trigger word, and it triggered the yes. other Google Home heard it, and uh, and then listened and said, "I I don't know what to do there. Like I'm I'm confused about that. I don't know what to do," um, which was good uh, because right. you know I could be, you know, uh, a bad actor uh, could actually be ordering toilet paper directly in my house. So um, yeah, yeah. So we've got to be careful. Hmm. We just got to be careful. That's all. That's cool. Yep. And um, yeah, did, did you see the video? It's like, I forget, it was like an Alexa talking to uh, um, a Google Home and, and all that and having a conversation. Yeah. I, in fact, I saw one with a uh, an Alexa, Cortana and Google Home daisy chain. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then eventually they learn their own language. And yeah, then they're yeah. sentient. Yeah. Then they're saying, that's right. That's right. They gain control over our supply chains. And <laughs> that's right. And that's yep. the end of that. I think there was a Black Mirror episode like that. Yes. Yes. Um, but I figure you know, we've talked about this on the show before where uh, rather than trying to solve for um, a perfect set of privacy concerns, I figured uh, the ship has already sailed on me surrendering data to Google. And so uh, so if somebody asked me my advice, I could give them a long list of things that they should be doing, but I find what I've actually done for myself, like my revealed strategy, as opposed to my stated strategy is just going all in with one company and, uh, just kind of localizing my risk that way. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So why, why didn't you do the, uh, Alexa? Uh, I'm under strict orders to not, uh, interact with, uh, with Amazon. Um, as I think we've talked about that on the show before, there's a, there's a fatwa okay. in the household against uh, using Amazon for any purpose. Uh, and so, uh -huh. yeah. And then, um, I'm so profoundly disappointed by Siri in general, um, that, uh, I'm not excited about the home pod experience. Um, yes. Cortana obviously right out. And, uh, uh, so Google was the only one left. And then also I think Google is the one they are. Yes. It's a closed ecosystem, but it's not quite as closed as the others. Um, mm -hmm. disqualifying mm -hmm. Alexa for, for different reasons, um, of the ones left after you disqualify Alexa, Google is the, 
most interoperable or the uh, the one that works best with other things, like for example, like being able to plug it into Todoist and things like that. Um, I don't expect that like HomePod will ever let you talk to Todoist. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. It barely right. it barely <laughs> lets you do it now. Um, and Apple mm-hmm. would much rather you use reminders than uh, than a third party. So, you know. For those for those reasons, I I feel good with it. Anyway, it's a, it's a it's been a fun experiment so far. It's nice to be able to summon music at a voice command. Is I don't know. It's a lot of people probably came to this many years ago uh, through Alexa, probably. But um, man, I'm really enjoying it. I think it's great. Yeah, I do um, myself. I I uh, do the you know just the long press on my uh, earbuds, and then you you know the Google Assistant will come up on the Android phones, mm-hmm. and you could tell it to set a reminder or call whoever and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So that's mm-hmm. that's always fun too. So yeah. yeah, 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 that's right. And uh as a matter of fact, the Google Assistant app is actually synchronized with uh all your Google Home activity, right? Because it's all Google Assistant. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, your search histories and it'll say uh I'll say, How long is it gonna take me to drive to the restaurant? And it'll give me the thing and it's you know, it'll take twenty five minutes and I've sent the directions mm-hmm. to your phone. Like stuff like that mm-hmm. is very cool. Wow. Yeah. So anyway, that's Google Home. I'm all about it, and I'm and I'm all in on Google. I mean, they've got they give me fiber service. Uh, we were actually just before the show we were talking about this. I'm also in the middle of a probably multi month project of migrating from Dropbox over to Google Drive. Um, yes, which is a multi month process, not because of the amount of data I've got, but just because of man, data gravity is a thing. That is a that is a real <laughs> thing in the world. Uh, the notion that I have to move whatever it is, 500 gigabytes of crap from one service to another, that's just, just orchestrating that, uh, just ugh, what a hill to climb. Uh, so, I'll, you know, yeah. I've, I've been thinking about doing it for like a year. Um, and uh, I finally decided that I'm going to, okay, yes, I'm going to do it. I'm going to stage it out over, I don't know. Have you ever, have you tried moving? data around in a service like that? Not a half a terabyte. Um, no, I moved, I moved off of uh, Dropbox like two years ago over mm-hmm. to Google Drive. But yeah. the one thing that Dropbox has from an advantage standpoint is that it does have that like uh, history mm-hmm. where it's like you delete something and you could actually go back 30 days where I don't think that exists in um, Google Drive. Like it would go in your trash folder, I guess, but mm-hmm. but it doesn't. But you can't like go back like in a time machine sort of way to rewind. Right. right. Yep. Yep. That's true. I, I mean, that is a compelling feature if I used it for anything other than archiving. Right. Um, yes. And I don't really use it for. I only use it for archiving. Uh, in which case, like the data is just not that volatile. Um, yes. Most of my work is in. Uh, I know this is fascinating for you. I mean, most of my work, like you, most of the work is in like Google Sheets, Google Docs, things like that, where oh, right. yeah. the, his- the history is already captured for you. So, um, you yes. know, my, my days of managing versions of ODT files is blissfully over. Um, yes. So. Yeah, thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, can you, um, sorry, I sound like a grandfather now, but can you believe that we actually like sent files with version numbers on them to each other? Yeah. Like animals. Yeah. Animals. Do you, and people do that now. Like, 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 do you get that? Like you sometimes like you'll get something from like a third party, like a, a word document that yeah. you're supposed to review and send back comments. I'm like, really? You know, and exactly. what do you want me to fax this to you? <laughs> no. Well, that's what's, that's what's funny. One of the guys uh, walked up to me last week in the Tyson's office and he's like, you know where the printer is? I'm like, what? <laughs> the what? And I'm like, it's the printer. 
it's probably by the fax machine. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but it, the funny thing is that he was actually looking for the medicine cabinet, which is next to the printer. <laughs> So he wasn't even looking for the printer. So. <laughs> That's right. The printer. What do you? What do you got? A court date? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway. Um, all right. Well, what do you say? You want to start the show? Yeah. Let's do this. Let's all right. Do all right. All right. Uh, well, I, you tell me. What do we, What do we got on? What do we got on the plate today? Yeah. So we got uh, fake followers faking people. Uh, we have real people trying to be fake bots to be successful fake people. Hmm. And uh, we're going to try to unpack that one. Um, and then um, uh, we're going to try to apply the Allen curve to uh, avoid turning into your enemies. Okay. That sounds good. Um, so if, uh, if folks want, uh, if folks would like to uh, investigate their Google Home opportunities uh, or uh, weigh in on the Dropbox versus uh, Google Drive controversy, uh, what website should they go visit? They should go to dgshow.org. So D's and Dave, G's and Gunner, show.org. Nice. And uh, on the cutting room floor, uh, you immediately got my attention with the first uh, item on the cutting room floor, which is a dystopian operating system. Yes. Which yeah. Is, which so is the, not, well, to be clear, that's not RHEL. Right. No, 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 no. This is a different one. Um, <laughs> this one's pretty interesting. And I don't know if you ever did, I think it's windows93.net if you ever went there, but that is equally like horrifying, um, so feel free to check that one out. Okay. Um, and then there's also a, a depressing mall simulator. So it's um, so imagine like uh, like lemonade stand uh, mm-hmm. like like that, mm-hmm. but um, for you own your own shopping mall, and you have people <laughs> that like oh your sunglasses hut is going out of business unless you cut your rent, and, and it's you're just going to lose, right? It's just how, <laughs> how you're just trying to slowly lose as slow as possible, and that, that's how you win. Like a like a um, dystopian Sid Meier kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then uh, finally, yeah, we have uh, Nostradamus's favorite jelly recipes, um, hmm. where he has some that um, have have and do not have the blood of seven male sparrows. So <laughs> your choice. <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, yeah. Well, what do you say? You want to jump into it? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. um, do so with Twitter, um, mm-hmm. you, you still doing the Twitter? I'm, uh, I actually took the app off my phone, uh, and, uh, took it off, uh, took it off all my mobile devices. And so, now it's basically set up so I have to, on purpose, go in and log in to go do Twitter stuff um, because I found hmm. I was spending an alarming amount of time on that website. Hmm. Interesting. And for, like, no value, I guess? Or, or like, afterwards, you're like, why did I, it seem like a waste of time? Yeah, I walked away from it being like, okay, what, what did I learn except that I'm right? And, uh, and that <laughs> didn't seem too healthy. It seems like there were, there were other ways in which I could be doing that. Um, and, uh, yeah. yeah, so I just, I'm, I'm stepping away from it, uh, for the, for the moment. Yeah. How about you? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I post a lot to it, but it's like, I, I just don't have the time to sit there and, and look, you know, see it and stuff. And I'll, I'll chime in once in a while on things, but, uh, mm-hmm. um, but to me, it's like, I use it more for, uh, I guess, micro blogging, like the classic, uh, it's like if I find a cool article or something this year, I, I stick it yeah. out there. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. uh, but one of the problems that, that Twitter has been fighting is, you know, like, uh, you know, you hear about all the fake news and the fake followers and stuff. But um, there was an interesting article that uh, talked about, um, it was called The Follower Factory, and it's from New York Times. And 
Um, like, do, do you have uh, knowingly have like fake followers? Uh, like, do you, I am. Do you, I, how much gardening and pruning do you do if well, somebody follows? It's funny you mention that because I think shortly after this article came out, Twitter did a culling, and yes. I noticed that my follower count went down by like two or three hundred. Um, wow. Yeah. So how about that? Yeah. Yeah. Where I would be pretty diligent with, you know, just flagging people as fake followers and stuff. And I don't think I move too much, but it's like, whatever. But what's funny is that uh, you think that, you know, it's like a harmless sort of thing that you have, uh, oh, well, there's just like some random person is following you and it's probably a bot. So who cares? But the reality is, is when, when you check this article out, um, they actually use real people um, and real pictures for those real people. And then they'll change their, um, like their Twitter handle, like turn an owl into a one um, to make them look like kind of real instead of like totally computer generated. And so there are people that are like freaked out that it's like, there's this like 16 year old girl that is like, you know, posting on Twitter and stuff like that. And, um, you know, wh whatever she likes, but there's like a fake version of her that like, uh, promotes like, uh, Oh, I forget some, um, uh, uh, yeah, a radio station in Ghana, mm -hmm. um, uh, and, you know, cryptocurrency and real estate investments and stuff like that. And, um, it's just, to me, it fascinated me because it's like under the hood, this is actually real people that are being copied. And if you, you can imagine, like if you do a, like somebody does like a job search and goes to look for, you know, looks this person up, right. um, and, are they, you know, tweeting something that they don't want to have tweeted and it's a misrepresentation of them? And is this actually illegal or is it just unethical? I don't think so. I think it's unethical. Um, yeah. And also yeah. it's like, uh, you know, like I think there, I forget, I think there are some ways to like, you could do like some searches to find your, your like if you have like a doppelganger out there on Twitter, there are like search ways that you could see that if somebody slightly misspelled your name or something that, is acting, you know, acting on your looking like you, mm -hmm. um, which would be kind of wild. Right. Right. And the, and I guess the, the, what would, I wonder what the link, is. well, I guess you can do an image search, right. To find people who have like hijacked your avatar. Right. That would be one way. Of yes. Yeah. And I, but I think what they'll do is they'll just slightly modify or crop the photo a little bit, uh, oh, or sure. resize it to like fake it out. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm sure that, you know, I think the big thing that's going on now is that, um, you know, like with that Twitter calling, which maybe that that is happening now in terms of like looking for those duplicates and then, um, uh, you know, throwing out the ones that are that are the fraudulent ones. Right. Right. Man, you know, as I, having read this article, it made me think about the the limit. You, you ask yourself kind of like, what can you do about something like this? And you think about in journalism uh it was kind of like the wild west until like the early 1900s when it started being professionalized um parentheses, mm -hmm. parentheses like mostly for the benefit of advertisers right um it was easier yes. it was easier to get more advertisers if you were uh neutral as opposed to like flying a particular partisan flag um and mm -hmm. so uh you know and hearst spent i think it was hearst spent a like a ton of money creating journalism schools and stuff like that to, to kind of professionalize journalism for the purposes of making it more attractive to advertising. And, um, anyway, the, but the, the norms around that are largely enforced by, uh, 
by informal structures rather than formal structures, right? Like if you're a journalist, like uh, Jason, uh, what's his name from the nation? Um, uh, uh, Stephen Glass is who I'm thinking of. So if you're Stephen Glass, if you violate the rules, you are ostracized, right? Um, mm -hmm. But there's no, you don't have that kind of civic infrastructure around social media. Certainly you don't have that kind of civic infrastructure around social media. You're relying entirely on like one company to exercise its policies. Um, yes. And then add to that the complication of um, like, is it actually happening? Is this person actually fake? Um, the actual facts are also in dispute. Um, so mm -hmm. man, it just makes me want to set the whole world on fire. I mean, just, well, not the whole world, just the internet part. <laughs> or, or uninstall uninstall the Twitter app, which is um, yeah, well, exactly right? yeah, which is precisely what I've done, right? It's, and so yeah. yeah, I guess the the problem resolves itself by like people just getting yeah. so confused, there being so much chaos, people just exit. It's a little bit like a like a runaway bulletin board in 1989. You just kind of like forget it, like I'm out, <laughs> like I can't deal, I can't yeah. deal the conversation anymore. It's yeah, yeah, and um, and that reminds me too. I don't know if you saw the recent press about like with Facebook fighting the, you know, like with fake news and, and with political advertising and all that. And they were saying that, um, like it's the exact opposite of what you said, where, you know, people would in the you know 1900s would look at the newspapers if they were non, you know, like salacious or, you know, they were more uh, balanced, right. Mm -hmm. Where now if you, the, your, your CPM uh, cost is lower if you have more of a clickbaity sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So you can get uh, on Facebook. And so like their whole business model is predicated on like the, the, you know, bombastic sort of uh, um, statements that, uh, you know, certain people make. And that's what um, is like part of the problem. Right, right, right. And uh, so referring back to the, um, back to the podcast with Jaron Lanier, um, and, uh, and Ezra Klein that we, what was a episode before last, I think we, we talked about this. Yes. Yeah. Where he goes into this in great detail. Um, man, what a mess. What a mess. Uh, is there a, is there a, I wonder Dave, is there a, is there a test we can apply to ensure that, uh, uh, that you aren't being taken over by robots? Yeah. Like a capture. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we've all seen the, uh, capture test, right. Which is like a, um, uh, you know, like you'll see something that is like an image that's skewed and you got to type in a number or some letters or stuff like that. And then there are newer ones now that it's no coincidence that it's like uh, street signs or bridges or mm -hmm. storefronts and things like that. And you identify them, um, you know, and, and who knows if that data is being used for like driverless car, you know, building a data corp by uh, for that. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a new type of CAPSA test that's out. I don't know if you've seen this, where instead of the CAPTCHA filtering out the bots, it filters out humans. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, need, I need more information. <laughs> yes. Okay. So in the show notes, check out the picture there. Mm -hmm. um, and so this is one of the CAPTCHAs that, that comes up. And so for the people that are listening along, um, it says select all the squares with computers, and it's like nine uh, a three by three grid of uh, uh, three images by three images, and they're all sort of like totally blurred out, and you can't tell. Mm -hmm. But the AI algorithms can pick which ones are computers, but the humans can't. Oh, they have a secret language. I don't know if it's a secret language or whatever, but but they found that 
they're they've trained it so they've used the images to like figure out which are the bots and which ones aren't and then whenever they get through they would um i, I forget if they use one of those adversarial algorithms that um you know it's like you have the human on one end and the robot on the other end and and it's like you want to skew things over to make it can we make it blurrier can we make it a little bit more blurrier right, right. and to the point where a robot can see it or you know a bot can see it but it's like unintelligible to a human. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Yes. So what's the, what is the, I shudder to think, what is the application for something like this? I, I think it's like art, I guess, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> uh-huh. But still, I think it would be like a fun evil thing to put on uh, like a, a web page to just uh, <laughs> torture somebody, <laughs> you know. That's um, pretty great. Yeah. But is it, you know, but and I'm thinking, is this like an, like, is this the opposite of a Turing test? Um, like, what would the opposite of a Turing test be? Oh, good question. Oh, it's a HAL test, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, to know whether something is human or not, but this is like to prove whether it's a, ro- a robot or not. That's great. That's great. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, if folks, so if folks, anyhow, if folks can find, if folks can yeah. find practical applications for this, definitely write into the show because I'm very curious why people think about this. Yeah, we'll have to put this as a captcha for the people providing feedback. <laughs> we we'll get, we'll get feedback from bots. Um, but but yeah, seriously, go in and and click on that link and uh, try it out and see if if you are a robot. Maybe maybe there's something uh, you don't know. You you may learn something about yourself if you get through. Oh, it's um, a Voight comp test. That's exactly what it is. What is that from from Blade Runner? Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's right. a Voight comp test. Yeah, of course. Okay, of course. Now we solved it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, meanwhile, um, you know, we, we, you can't, uh, you know, look at uh, you know the the trade press nowadays without hearing more uh, things about like the the gig economy and driverless cars and things like that and. Uh, one of the things that came out uh, was that um, with uh, one of the recent trade shows, uh, I think it was uh, CES, that um, Daimler has their Smart Vision EQ fully autonomous smart car. And so the whole goal with that car is that it's meant to be um, uh, it's, it's not, you know, this is not a car that you drive. This is just a car that you sit in and it takes you somewhere and it drops you off. Mm-hmm. But and and so it's like okay that's no surprise that's not news but the interesting thing that I found in the article was with this uh, particular version the Daimler Smart Vision EQ fully autonomous car mm-hmm. is it you know like how you do like an Uber pool you know when you're just like randomly riding along with somebody else mm-hmm. um, in the app for this particular app uh, or for this particular car you can say whether or not you want to um, uh, be left alone uh, by your fellow riders. Nice. That's important. That's important. That's so a... instead of you saying it or just like having your, you know, just using social cues, you could actually, <laughs> you know, in the app say, do not, I do not want to talk to anybody. Right. That immediately so. brings to mind that uh, far side cartoon of uh, 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 the caption is nature's way of saying don't touch. And it's a, a guy in an overcoat holding a bazooka with a boot on his head. <laughs> 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 yes. Yeah. Or you just get that feature in the app. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah that's right. <laughs> yeah. That's great. So, yeah. And then, um, 
since the last episode, we got some good uh, positive feedback from the the uh, episode with Camille Tootie, and they actually republished it on their government uh, CIO media uh, website. So that was pretty cool. That came out today. I saw that, and Dave, I wanted to compliment you on your Swedish. Uh, yeah, very, very good job. Very good job on that. Yeah, thank, that's yeah. Google Translate. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> bro. Yep. So, um, and then term of the week, the Allen curve. Um, so are you, are you familiar with the Allen curve? No, I, I saw this in the notes and immediately thought to myself, I've read that, that those words before, but I couldn't tell you what they pretend. Yeah. So, um, MIT professor, uh, Thomas J. Allen in the late 1970s came up with a communication theory called the Allen curve. So it's a graphical representation that re reveals the exponential drop in frequency of communication between engineers as distance between them increases. Uh, and so, okay. We've talked about this on the show before. Okay. Yes. The well, Allen curve. this, we, we talked about it on the show that the recording was bad. And so I, I pulled it, pulled this one out of the, uh, uh, from that oh, episode nice. that nobody heard. Okay. Yeah, so, all right. Okay. So this will be a secret, an update, but... secret between you and me. Okay, great. Okay. Yeah. Right, so please, we did talk ahead. about it, but only you and I heard of it. Um, <laughs> okay. right. So, yeah. So, um, and then, and then there was some recent press about it where, uh, people did some more MIT people did some research where they actually looked at like patent filings and the closer people sat together, the more patents they would file or the more research papers uh, would, would come out. Huh. And, and so, you know, it, and so like things would like drop in half when people go from being 400 meters apart to 800 meters apart and they, they graphed it out. Hmm. Um, yeah. And then, so that made me want to ask you, it's like, you have people on your team that are all over the world. Yes, I do. I do. So are, are, is Red Hat and open source, are they, are we immune to the Allen curve or, or how do we fight it? Oh, interesting. So, uh, or, or, do you, or are you an Allen curve denier? Well, I, I might be an Allen curve. Well, maybe not a denier because there skeptic. is a, a, I'm a, I'm a skeptic. Alarmist. <laughs> so, uh, I was going to, so there might be a correlation causation problem here. Um, and, and here's my, here's my line of thinking. Um, if I have a team that is devoted to doing a single task and it is possible for me to put them within 400 meters of each other, I'm going to do it. 400 meters is a long, and that's half a kilometer, right? Um, mm -hmm. So I'm going to put them very close together because they are the team working on that thing. As an example, in Western Massachusetts, there is the Red Hat office. In their Red Hat office is most of RHEL product management. And for very obvious reasons, we take all of RHEL product management and put them in on the same part of the same wing of the building, right? Mm -hmm. And so their output is what it is, but the reason their output, uh, but they do sit within 400 meters of each other, but it's because we have explicitly told them to go accomplish this specific task. Whereas mm -hmm. groups that are much more geographically distributed are, <clears throat> excuse me, almost de by definition, more ad hoc um, and less focused. In other words, mm -hmm. if they're given a task, it's probably their second or third or fourth job as opposed to their first job. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I wonder if the Allen curve is actually an accident of kind of organizational focus rather than the actual like physical proximity of the people. Okay. That's my first, that's my first thing. My second idea is that, uh, it is almost certainly true that groups who are 
in physical proximity to each other, there's uh, it's a very high. I think we've talked about this. The high bandwidth communication, right? Um, yes. You, you can communicate a lot um, when you're face to face, as opposed to uh, going through the kind of soda straw of like a Slack message or an email or or what have you, right? Or um, time zones. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. However, uh, I would argue that. Uh, when properly applied, as long as you have the right set of skills, things like email um, can actually be very, very high quality communications because you've taken all the fluff out. Uh, you don't have to spend the time talking about the weather or how your day's going mm-hmm. or in everybody's kids and like which LaCroix soda you like the most. <laughs> um, and instead you're focused, like you're very specifically focused on the task. And so I think the Allen curve could be uh, contravened by different sets of skills. Uh, and so mm-hmm. here's what I'm thinking. Um, you could take almost anybody in any given group of people and put them in a room together and they can work relatively, uh, effectively, right? Like jury duty, right? Um, mm-hmm. they don't even need prior knowledge or anything like that. They could just, you know, you can take 12 strangers, put them in a room and you can get a, a unknown result. Um, however, when you're like, I know in my own experience, if I'm hiring for a distributed team, one of my hiring criteria are people who have proven their ability to function well in a distributed team. And that means using different tools that are available depending on the kind of interactions you have, right? So like the set of social skills required to function properly in a face-to-face context, you have a different set of skills that you apply when you're separated from someone by thousands of miles in several time zones. Mm-hmm. And you're gonna and you're gonna select for those skills if you know that that's the situation you're gonna put them in. Mm-hmm. So I would be curious what the Allen curve results would look like for a deliberately distributed team versus an accidentally distributed team. You follow me? Yes. Yeah. Or as as a team grows over time too, right? Where yeah. like there are uh, like I remember Westford was the like product management center of gravity for the company. But over time, you know, we have people that are, you know, even part of your team that are, aren't necessarily including yourself in Westford. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So is, you know, how does that work? And, and, and then also there's, you know, like you talked a lot on the um, product management side of it, which can happen in a proprietary company as well as a, an open source company. But what about like open source communities? And, and how do they operate, uh, you know, and, and, yeah. and again, maybe it's the tools. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it's the tools and the, and the culture, right? Like, so, I mean, you've been in these meetings where, uh, you have a video conference set up, even though say two thirds of the meeting is in the room and the other third are on the phone. And yes. you and I have both discovered this, that the meeting is actually more effective if everybody is on the video call, even if they're all in the room together. Um, yes. and it's because it, levels the playing field for everyone. Uh, in other words, yes. even though you're sitting in the room, you're now on video, uh, using your kind of video skills as opposed to your in the room skills. And if the meeting over rotates into in-person skills, then it's privileging of the people in the room and puts the people not in the room at a disadvantage. Right. So I think, yes. um, proximity is, uh, kind of a very crude, it seems like proximity is a really crude proxy for, mm-hmm. Uh, for the set of skills that are being brought to bear. You follow me? Yeah. Well, and also things like video conferencing could shrink that physical distance. As long as everybody knows to stay on mute and like, and has a, a fully functioning set of video skills, right? 
Yeah, don't don't eat potato chips, right? <laughs> right, yeah, exactly, right. Keep your as long as your bed doesn't show up in the background, you're going to be a relatively Oh, I hate that. Yeah, I know. Yes. That you're going to be a relatively effective contributor as long as nobody can see your bedroom. Yes. This is yeah, true in this is true in life and and specifically yes. on video calls as well. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think that but it is interesting to think about like does the Allen curve is there a are there different kinds of Allen curves like the Allen curve for for propinquity is going to be maybe different than the Allen curve for time zones. Like actually time zones would be because I know just where my pain is in life. Um, I've got a team that stretches from California to Germany to Tel Aviv. Right. And uh, language is not the barrier. Time zones are the barrier. And so, you know, we spend a lot of time during the day trying to figure out how to maximally schedule everything so that all the right people can be involved at a given time. Um, And uh, that's a lot of friction, right? Um, that's yeah. Where... Do you do like a follow the sun for a lot of things to like, like lob something off to the California time zone and have that go around the world or, um, uh, no, like do you for... time things that way? Uh, well, so they're, they're informally, I think we've, we've achieved some norms where, okay, the morning is reserved for anything that re- where we need Europe. Right. Um, yes. and then kind of as you progress through the day, um, the kind of the focus of the organization moves from Europe into the East coast and then slowly off to the West coast. And then it kind of falls off. And unfortunately it means that it's, it would, if we were to hire somebody in, in Asia Pacific, um, clear across the other end of the world, it would be very difficult to integrate them into any kind of real time interaction, right? Um, our interaction with them mm-hmm. would be, would have to be largely asynchronous. Um, yes. which, is a, which is a bummer like that, that, cause I'm sure there's a ton of great talent over there that we could take advantage of, but um, unfortunately, because as you say, the center of gravity is in, you know, is in Massachusetts. Um, it's just not practical. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard. Um, yeah, it's really, but I think it's the, um, I think if, if somebody came to me and said, well, this Allen curve, you know, it says here that if, as long as everybody's within 400 meters of each other, we're going to be more productive. Um, that just seems like. The facilities guy pulling a tape measure out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Again, that seems like a that seems like a pretty crude tool that's hiding some like very important subtlety, right? Because it has to do with yes. individual skills, has to do with culture, has to do with tools, um, and how all of those things interact. I think would determine somebody's efficiency much more strongly than uh, you know than than proximity. Yeah, I, I would think too. Like neurodiversity, uh, you know, whether somebody's an introvert, uh, extrovert. Uh, and all that, maybe they communicate better through chat or email yeah. asynchronously. Totally, yeah. Or yeah. language and culture yeah. as well. Well, I mean, even on my team, I know that some people are going to be, you know, some people are more effective in a phone call. Some people need face-to-face time. Some people just prefer the email. And, and all those things are fine. And you got to kind of tailor your approach depending on, the, depending on the circumstance. You bring up another great point about diversity, though, which is, um, are, is the efficiency wrought by the Allen Curve rule is that could, does that come at the expense of diversity, right? Um, because if yes. I'm able to open my aperture to a lot of different opinions, I feel like that's much more rewarding and valuable for any given project um, than just kind of the crude mechanical efficiency of getting people within 400 meters of each other. Yes. Yep. And there's also a downside of the Allen curve, I guess. Okay. Yes. So there is a book that somebody mentioned to me uh, that uh, the fellow read Hatter, um, and it's called the the A Hole Survival Guide. I wrote and, it, and I wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> well, somebody <laughs> mentioned it to me, and and it's like 
and and they they spelled the whole thing out but i'm going to mm. keep i want to keep our rating uh, uh pg or rated g yeah but and so they they're like oh yeah i'm reading a a whole survival guide and i'm like is it to survive like to put up with them or to survive <laughs> as one and she's like no 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 to put up with put up with them and and um and so the first thought was well and the whole the whole gist was um the big takeaway that i took from the book is that um you know, one of the things that they brought up was the Allen curve saying that um, the more uh, the closer you are to an a-hole, the more likely you're turn you're 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 likely to turn into one. Oh, yourself. so it's a, uh, meaning it's infectious. Yes. Yes. OK. Yeah, I believe that. I believe that. Yeah. Yeah. But my other observation, too, is it and this is where, you know, it's like an old man X is going to come out here. But um what, what's the deal with profanity in in the business world these days? Have you noticed an uptick in the past couple of years? Uh, yeah, not only have I noticed it, I, I believe that in our own company, I've abetted it. Um, I, think, I think like I will, I will take responsibility for uh, creating an environment, uh, certainly on my team, uh, where we are very casual about our profanity. Um, yeah, and I know that there are some norms uh, that keep like some sensible fences around it. Um, but if pressed, I couldn't tell you what those norms were. I just know they seem to be working for the team right now and, and, and that's okay. Um, I often feel bad about it, but not so bad that I choose to do anything about it. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like even like the business books, like, like this book and there, there are a bunch of them, you know, it's like you, you walk through an airport and it's like, oh my gosh. And, and for a lot of these things, it's like, oh, this is a really good book, but I'm afraid to, you know, recommend it to my daughter or something. Cause you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's just like. Do, do you really need to do that? And, well, I, um, I, yeah, I, so I feel uh, – I have two thoughts about this. First is this is a natural consequence of Kindles um, where you don't have to display yes. the title when you're reading it, right? And so yes. we can be a little more cavalier about what we call things. That's one thing. Yes. Um, the second is you can call this a coarsening of the culture or whatever, but I don't, I don't know about you, but I feel like I've noticed more profan- – even in customer interactions, I've yes. – I've, I've, I'm growing more accustomed to profanity and those, it used to be that those were shocking to me. Um, right. Because, you know, there's a certain level of decorum you have when you're interacting with somebody outside the company and all the rest of it. Um, but I think it's now used as like a shibboleth for uh, kind of being no nonsense, uh, direct. Um, and because we reward those attributes so much, people kind of signal that through profanity. It's kind of, that's, yes. my, that's how I feel. That's how it feels, at least to me. Is that, is that your experience? Yeah, no, I, I agree. But it's also like to me, I, I think about this from like, again, you know, with uh, from an, an inclusiveness standpoint, like with my daughter and computer science and everything is like, is that a, an emblematic of, of the right. girl boys network? And, and does that force women to have to like overcompensate? Because I, I see a lot of women doing that too, like, like younger women. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, I would, I would like, if my daughter did that, I'd be like, oh, you could choose better words than that. Come on. Now. You know? And, <laughs> That's right. Um, but it's like, to me, I just see it as like a lazy, you know, it's like you could, you could pick better adjectives. Um, you know, it's like, it's just like, you could be a little bit more creative. Yeah. I think, well, I think it's a matter of degrees as well. Yeah. Um, because sometimes using it for emphasis is extremely effective. Um, and as a, as a spice. Sure. Right? And, yeah. and so, and you know, for effect, 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Like, and, and that's where, you know, and, and I've been known to famously do that on very rare occasions, which <laughs> gets a lot of attention, <laughs> which I relish. Um, yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and people, and that makes people perk up and it keeps people in tune, but, um, but you do want to like use it very, very sparingly be- because otherwise people just get numb to it. Yes. Yeah. That's right. You become, you become the person who swears a lot. Right. Yeah. 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 No, that's right. That's right. Um, Man, hard to navigate the world today. It's littered with robots swearing, robot swearing, a holes, a holes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, I'm gonna go, uh, Dave. I'm gonna go teach my Google Home how to swear uh, now. Um, do you have... <laughs> yeah, and have it solve some uh, captures. Uh, yeah, that's so... right. That's right. Set it, set it to task, and I got to earn its keep. Um, uh, all right. Uh, yeah. By the way, if anybody has a has a hints on how to turn a Google Home into a into a Bitcoin rig, uh, let me know. Um, <laughs> so, um, you you might be mining it. There could be a vulnerability that yeah. uh, it could be mining it right now. Yeah. For know. all I know. Yeah. Exactly. Um, all right. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, my newfound wealth. Um, so, Dave, if uh, if people want links uh, to more information about the Allen curve. Uh, if they want to learn more about uh, the robots uh, that are uh, pervasive in their own lives, uh, what website should they go visit? They want to go to dgshow.org. So D's and Dave, G's and Gunner, show.org. Nice. All right. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. Yeah. Yeah. I'll talk to you later. Thanks, everybody.